Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Shady Youth. As usual, we have another special, amazing guest today. We have the one and only Wasik Javid, all the way from Houston, right? Houston, Texas? Okay. That's right, Usually, that's right. I had on a, a previous Texas host, um, a Texas guest. Uh, I don't know if you know him, um, Imam Hassan Siddiqui. And I said, I, I accidentally said he was from Dallas, and he was like, Dallas, how could you? That's dis- that's disgraceful, man. It's you know what's crazy man. is Imam Hassan Siddiqui was was my imam of their creek. Oh, uh, really? Uh, literally of my masjid. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the Islamic Center. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So I don't want to offend you by by saying the wrong city, you know. Uh, no worries, no worries at all. Yeah, man. So uh, just to start off, how are you, man? Um, and yeah, just just give us a little background about who you are and and, uh, and uh, what you do. Sure, of course. Assalamualaikum, warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May peace be upon you all. Uh, my name is Wasik Javed. Uh, I'm a spoken word artist, a community organizer, uh, a youth mentor, um, and I've recently graduated from the University of Houston uh, with the bachelor's in political science. Uh, and I'm now working uh, at Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee's office. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so, what was uh, what was your degree in at a uh, at university? Yeah, it was a uh, in uh, political science and oh, okay. minor in leadership studies at the University of Houston. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so, how does that tie in with what you're doing right now for um, the uh, the congresswoman? Yeah, there's a lot of uh, I think background into it. And uh, in high school, when I was trying to decide my major, I actually applied to um, University of Houston as a uh, as a business student. I actually applied to, to mm. uh, UT Austin as well. And I got accepted into both. And so my dad wanted me to be, um, uh, he, he basically didn't want me to be, you know, what all this, he dads want their sons to be, or like, you know, like a failure in life or whatever, whatever you want to call it. And so I was, uh, I didn't want to be an engineer. I didn't want to be a doctor. So I was like, okay, well, business will make me money. So I was like, all right, let me, let me try that pathway. But then, uh, in my senior year of high school, I kind of, um, uh, started to get politically involved, civically involved, and I founded a civic engagement organization at my high school that's still on to this day, uh, still ongoing. And um, as a result of like the campus-wide, uh, as well as district-wide activism, uh, I was named to the Mayor's Commission Against Gun Violence. And so when I started to connect with different local leaders in, in, the, in, the, in the city, I, I recognized that, hey, maybe my pathway uh, might be better in, in politics. And so that's when I switched my major uh, literally at orientation to political science. And I had the opportunity to intern in my first semester of college at Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee's office. She represents uh, downtown Houston, uh, a lot of the inner city areas. Uh, and, and then, you know, uh, after graduating, recently graduating, uh, I joined her office um, as a uh, caseworker and I do constituent services and a field representative. So I staff her at different events she's, she's at. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so I just want to ask you, was there like a, like a, an exact turning shift for why you switched from business to political science or, or were you just always interested in politics and you thought this was just a natural progression for you? Mm. You know, that's a good question. Um, you know, since I was like 15 years old, I've always felt that I always had this almost, um, uh, I almost, you know, want to say like a divine kind of um, mission that that I always knew that Allah put in my heart for me to achieve. And I didn't know what that is. I, to this day, I'm still unraveling. And I knew that uh, I wanted to make a social impact on, on a large scale uh, uh, through Islamic means. And I knew that there is some type of avenue that would allow me to um, uh, call uh, for the masses to come to Islam. And I knew that, okay, media and, you know, being a celebrity or being an artist or being a politician, well, there's different avenues to have uh, um, that influence, you know, for the sake of Allah. And I thought that, you know, the, the pathway originally was, you know, uh, potentially being a politician or, or being someone in, in, in media, rep- you know, writing legislation, being a, uh, a representative of, of people, you know, is what the, is the pathway that, that I thought would be uh, best. And I still have questions about that today. But at the time, in, in when I was deciding my major, that was the immediate switch once I began to interact with 
many of those elected officials locally, you know, the mayor of Houston, several Congress members and, and other representatives is when I recognize that, um, uh, you know, there's so much impact that can happen. And I also had the opportunity at the time to, to go to DC and go to Austin to, to um, uh, lobby or advocate on certain issues. And, and when I got to in interact and meet with these elected officials is when I realized that, hey, you know, there's a lot of influence here on a, on a, on a state level, on a local level, on a federal level that uh, Muslims need to get in involved in. For sure. Um, and it definitely seems like your initial intention was Islamically driven, right? Like everything, um, it seems to, to stem from that, um, which, which is pretty interesting because, um, you know, there's that other camp, right? There's that other uh, cynical side of our ummah that, that says, you know, there's like no point for Muslims to get involved into politics because, you know, once you do, then you, you actually lose sight of your deen and you're more driven mm. by dunyawi politics, right? right? Mm. Um, would you say that you faced some pushback from your family for that? Or, or would you say that you've seen that side of, you know, negativity or, or like, what would be your response to that? Right. <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I think, you know, I guess the original pushback that, that I might have had was uh, from my own family. And, and mm. sometimes it's hard to, to deal with that. Um, you know, in particular, is, is, you know, for growing up, you know, my dad has, uh, you know, of course, having an immigrant mentality, uh, which is nothing wrong with it. But, you know, looking at, you know, they want for their children to be uh, financially secure, and, you know, and stable. And so, you know, when I when I originally was getting involved in all these different things, um, you know, when I was named to the mayor's commission against gun violence, like, you know, I remember like conversations that I was having with my family and, you know, uh, where they're like, you know, you're wasting your time. Like, what are you doing? And, and I would, I would, and even with my poetry and spoken word, uh, when I used to, I used to perform a lot. I mean, COVID has, has reduced uh, um, the amount of um, uh, performances I'm going to, but, you know, I used to be at every open mic, every, every place that I, I could be at. And uh, when you get that internally from your own kind of people, it, it kind of hurts you. And it kind of like, it uh, is a pushback, like internally, and I had to kind of overcome that and, and also educate in, in ways. And, 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 you know, three years later, I've been able to, you know, convince, uh, you know, my dad, my family on, on uh, you know, the things I've been able to do. And he's seeing the, the barakah and seeing the blessings kind of come to fruition, uh, you know, from, from the community uh, uh, activism standpoint and, and even, even uh, through poetry, um, you know, the, the, the pushback, yeah, was originally from um, uh, from those internally, but and then through time, and when, when they start to realize, you know, how much more of an impact you can do, and and and, and educating them through how Islamically this is actually beneficial for the community, and how much you're able to to provide, you know, to others on a mass scale, then you know it starts to you know turn people's hearts to to your mission and cause. For sure, man, um, and I think. I think once they actually see you like succeeding in what you're doing and like actually be good at it, I think that's like the turning point for a lot of our parents. Um, like it's not the same comparison, but you know, like my, my parents always push me to like, you know, go to med school, right. That's like the, right. the stereotype. Right. Um, I didn't <laughs> yeah. exactly do that, but you know, I did, I did something in healthcare. I'm, I'm a nursing student mm -hmm. in my final year right now. Um, and in the beginning, you know, there's always that stereotype of like, you know, nurses are like women, right? So it's just like, mm -hmm. oh, like, why would you do that? Right. You could go to med school, um, not knowing that, you know, you have your own reasons that you want to do other things. Right. Like I'm pretty passionate about, you know, poetry and, and writing itself. And, mm -hmm. you know, I do want to do things like start a business and, and get more, you know, community at, um, activity going on and, and stuff like that. Right. Right. Um, right. and, and so when, once they, I think, see like how much you're willing to, to put work into these other things that you're into, I think that's like when it finally clicks in their head, like, Oh, okay. They, they know what they're doing. Like they're not just mm. making a dumb decision for the sake of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that's when they, you know, put their trust in you. Um, would you say that you saw like th those kind of similar, um, attitudes in, in your father, or the rest of your family? Definitely. Definitely. I, I do think so. Um, you know, I'll even share like one, one anecdote I remember recently, um, uh, and I know we're going to talk about the uh, the free Imam, free Imam Jamil campaign. Uh, in last October of 2020, we organized a, 
a rally in, in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, where Imam Jamil's uh, primary residence and, and his hometown is. And I remember coming back from the rally and I was just sharing, you know, reflections about how it went with, with my father. And, you know, I was telling him that, um, you know, uh, he, he, he knows it. He knew who Imam Jamil was in the, in the past before he was uh, in prison. Uh, he oh, wow. was, he's a part of ICNA and a lot of the national Muslim institutions, um, uh, you know, we're very familiar with Imam Jamil's leadership. And so when I was uh, telling him of, you know, how it went, I remember um, uh, telling him that, you know, I want to follow in the footsteps of, of leaders like Imam Jamil, social revolutionaries uh, that are, that are, you know, calling the masses to Islam. And once he, you know, once he recognized that, you know, uh, that, you know, politics or poetry, all these other things are, are not just, you know, passions, but, but they're almost uh, methods of, or tools or avenues of, um, of dawah, you know, of, 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 of mobilizing, uh, you know, the masses of people to uh, 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 come to Islam and come to the call of Islam and through, you know, a revival and, and through a renewal of our original tradition. And, and, and so, you know, he once he recognized that, you know, I'm part of the next generation that is born and raised American, right? That though my father is from Pakistan and, and my mother is from Pakistan, my grandparents and their ancestry is from India, I was born and raised here. And I actually had that, you know, that uh, cultural uh, struggle internally of like, who am I? And I went to India in, in, in uh, uh, summer of 2019 to actually go study Urdu because my Urdu was so broken. And I, I met with, you know, my ancestral village and family, you know, that were two, three generations above me. And, and then I recognized that, hey, you know, despite my family being there in India originally, I'm, my, my roots are here in this country. And there's a reason why on a, on a, on a larger scale, why Muslims, uh, why the Islamic traditions originally began with African-Americans in this country as slaves. And then why the immigrant communities even here to where even now I still have the vision that, you know, in our lifetime or even beyond, uh, America can actually be the model of, uh, of Islam. Should we, should Muslims like ourselves and the younger generation become involved in, 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 uh, in uh, uh, writing legislation, being involved in media, being involved in, in politics to take Islamic laws and principles, implement them, you know, in our country and utilize that as a way to actually, you know, unite the global Muslim ummah on a, on a worldwide scale, on a global scale. For sure, man. And it sounds like you have, you know, a huge vision to, to aspire to, mashallah. Um, so that's actually an amazing transition into, you know, a huge segment that we do want to talk about, um, the story of Imam Jamil Alameen, right? Um, and a lot of people already know his story. He's a legend in um, social justice, and he's a huge revolutionary that's been incarcerated for decades now, right? SubhanAllah. So I, I was um, I was hoping that maybe you could just sort of from the beginning about who he actually was, right? Um, and and from his time in 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 you know leading um, the Muslims of uh, you know the sixties and seventies, and how he got incarcerated, and and what exactly um, you know Muslim activists like you are doing now to try to free him. Right. Um, uh, we would need a whole podcast yeah, I know. It's, it's, alone. It's a long man. <laughs> and a series of a podcast just uh, on his story alone. <laughs> right, online. right, right. Um, but, it, you know, if I could, you know, uh, give it a, you know, just just a minute or two. Uh, Imam Jamil Alameen, formerly known as HRAP Brown, uh, was the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee chairman, was the fifth chairman of that, uh, of SNCC, Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, and the former minister of the Black Panther Party. Um, and, you know, many, you know, no names like Congressman John Lewis and everyone, you know, there's legislation named after him right now in, in, in Congress. They're trying to pass the voting rights uh, bill. And he was the third uh, chairman of Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. And H. R. Brown, now known as Imam Jamil, was just two after that. And so many are unaware of uh, the likes of Atrap Brown, who was followed the next generation of of, Mal of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King, and and they and they fought for uh, you know uh, uh, the Black freedom struggle, and and they took the 
SNCC, uh, that organization, the, the youth arm of the civil rights movement, and they led and they called for black power and, and they, they armed themselves up in self-defense with the, with the Black Panthers. And uh, H.R. Brown at the time was so nationally known that uh, he, was, he was wrongfully he was wrongfully cited to, for causing a riot, so much so that to this day, there's still legislation. Congress named a, a bill after his name called the H. Rat Brown Riot Act uh, that uh, summer protesters from last, from last year were charged under that same law. And, and, and he's been known, you know, in all these famous movies today, uh, like Judas and the Black Messiah and Trial of Chicago 7 and everyone like Fred Hampton and you know, the, the, the seven uh, um, uh, anti-Vietnam war activists that were all charged, you know, uh, uh, under this law. And he was, he's, he's, he's known on a public scale well, in his days as A-Trap Brown. What happened was when he became Muslim as Imam Jamil al-Amin, you know, the kind of the older generation of, of the black community didn't know he became Muslim because he was, he was incarcerated. He changed his name. He became, he studied around the world, he became an Imam and he moved to Atlanta, Georgia in the West End community, in the inner city of Atlanta, and, and he uh, single-handedly, through, the, through his power, through his doubt, through his effect, uh, uh, through, in, in following the principles of Islam, reformed and revolutionized the inner city of, of the West End in Atlanta, Georgia. And it seems, you know, something small, like, okay, this guy just, you know, regular community leader, but when, you, when, when the government uh, creates projects in certain communities to uh, uh, divide and disinvest and make sure that the next generation, you know, feeds into a pipeline uh, where, where they can be, you know, incarcerated and divided and, and be segregated and, and uh, disenfranchised. Imam Jamil did the exact opposite and he empowered the community. He made, created black businesses and he protected uh, uh, the, the Muslim kids from drug dealers on the street. And he, you know, converted prostitutes and drug dealers and you know, uh, and, and unified gang members all by himself in his community. And when you have the likes of someone that was H.R.A.P. Brown that was targeted by the FBI uh, on the list of Pro, where he was the one of the five people by name listed to uh, uh, execute, you know, a black messiah to make sure that they kill Malcolm X, Elijah Muhammad, H.R.A.P. Brown, He's one of those names on that list, and he's one of the only last living members of Pro today. Um, when, he, when he was Imam Jamil Al-Amin, not only was he working locally, but also nationally. And he was one of the founding members of one of our unified Muslim institutions today, uh, United States Council of Muslim Organizations, USCMO. He was the one that united the War Din Muhammad, uh, War Din Muhammad movement, um, uh, the the uh, Isna, Ikna, and many of the original founding pioneering Muslim institutions of our country today, unifying the immigrant community and the black community and leading, you know, the nation's largest protest for Bosnia, you know, 18,000 people in, in, in DC and advocating for, for Palestinians. When you have a leader that's unifying different backgrounds of the Muslim community as a, you know, as a black Muslim, you know, the, the government wants to, you know, execute you or they frame you and they frame you because uh, they want to erase your legacy and make sure that the masses of people, um, you know, uh, are divided on what, on who you are. And so in 2001, he was wrongfully framed for uh, a crime that he did not commit. He was uh, accused of, of, of murdering a police officer and the man that actually committed the crime confessed a few months later to the FBI, and yet they never uh, brought his testimony in the court because they deemed him mentally incapable. And for 20 years, uh, he has confessed to the crime repeatedly, so much so to, uh, that he was under oath in another trial on, on live stream, on camera, in front of a courtroom, he confessed to the crime one more time and said that Imam Jamil was not the person that did it. And Imam Jamil to this day has maintained his innocence for 21 years, while he's been incarcerated, he's been in solitary confinement for 11 years. He's safe. He suffered uh, multiple health problems, cancer and strokes. And uh, uh, recently in the past two, three years, he was denied cataract surgery. And so uh, we've been, you know, working to, to, to mobilize on his efforts 
uh, and and uh, I had the opportunity to meet Kyrie Alamine, the son of Imam Jamil, uh, last year, and we uh, founded Students for Imam Jamil, which became the nas- the national group to advocate for Imam Jamil and kind of modernize his his advocacy on on on, on a social media campaign front, and we were able to advocate to the uh, Fulton County District Attorney, uh, which is in Atlanta, Georgia, when they were getting elected last November. And the, the uh, person who won, Fonnie Willis, uh, she committed the day before her election, we organized a press conference and she committed to reopening Imam Jamil's case and looking into it. Alhamdulillah, she did. And even right now during this process, since she was elected this January, she's been reviewing his case, prioritized it, and is uh, reviewing his case to deem his innocence and overturn his conviction. While that's happening, we just recently organized a protest in Tucson, Arizona uh, last month. And uh, three days after that protest, alhamdulillah, Imam Jamil re- received his, his cataract surgery and now his vision is, is restored because uh, he, was, he was formerly blind. And now we are still advocating for his transfer from Tucson, Arizona to Atlanta, Georgia, because he's a state prisoner in Atlanta, Georgia. But because he was so powerful and was a revolutionary, even while being a Muslim, he, he uh, uh, converted so many people in the prison in, in Georgia that they deemed him, you know, high profile. So they transferred him out to the federal prison system. And now he's far away from his attorney, from his families. And they're trying to, you know, uh, uh, give, do him death by medical neglect and keep him away from those that can actually exonerate him. And so we're pushing to reverse the steps, to rewind that, bring him back to Atlanta, Georgia, while his case is being reviewed so that he can be fully exonerated, inshallah. Oh man, subhanAllah. Like, uh, just hearing all of that just kind of gives you, you know, a glimpse into in the kind of legend of a man he was, subhanAllah. And um, even at his old age, which I'm not sure how old is he is, he is but, you, you know. 78 he's, right now. 78, oh, he's wow, about right? to be 78 uh, next month. That's October insane. 4th. And he's still making an impact, right? Subhanallah. Um, and just imagine if if he actually was freed, you know, soon, um, which I'll pray for. It just it just um, it kind of gives you an image into the kind of impact that he might have, or, or people that are inspired by him, right? Like someone like you, or, or other you know young people that hear these stories, and then they're just um, you know inspired to 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 spark that revolution. Um, so I want to ask you. Um, what's the what is the impact that you've seen just um on a on a community and a national level um besides just from um you know obviously the direct goal is to try to free imam jamil right but there's obviously you know other things that are happening as um a side effect as you know Mm. as as just other um byproducts of your campaigns so what other kind of fruits or or positive impacts have you seen from your work and and um you know your your colleagues work in in trying to free imam jamil right i I think several things i think um uh you know in in freeing imam jamil and you know several the i i if it's okay i I would want to say some of the the byproducts of once he's free or would you like to know uh both right now or whatever you want to speak about Okay. Um, I would say that, uh, well, I, I can do both. So currently I think some of the, the byproducts that, that um, I see right now is the unification between the older generation and, and my generation, our generation, where you have you know, people 21 years later that have no clue who Imam Jamil was, have no clue who uh, these leaders were in our history, but he's not history because he's alive, that are now relearning uh, his name, relearning who he is, um, and uh, are, are not only learning about folks like H.R.A. Brown and Imam Jamil, but so many other political leaders that were framed, that were executed, that are still in prison today, other political prisoners. Uh, so I've seen many people that are now advocating for you know, aging people in prison, just, you know, whether they're famous or not, H.R.A. Brown, Imam Jamil is, is a legend. Like he is known by so many celebrities, activists, and, and um, uh, prominent people. But what about everyone else in the criminal justice system that's been wrongfully in prison? Uh, what about those who, you know, uh, um, were, were actively involved, other Black Panthers still in prison? 
uh, like Mumia Abu-Jumah, what about Dr. Afiya Siddiqin? Uh, so many, many people from our generation have been learning about political prisoners, learning about the criminal justice system, learning about, you know, how, how the government is actually a threat to us, as a threat to marginalized communities, that the FBI is not your best friend, that they're here to spy, to infiltrate, to divide, to conquer, to uh, frame and entrap. And um, uh, to this day, we are still trying to rewire what, what that relationship is. And to this day, youth like our, myself, you know, we're, we're realizing that there's still programs that exist like COINTELPRO in the 60s and 70s that targeted black civil rights activists in new forms today, such as countering violence extremism, you know, and, and all the same issues that we're having today, like defunding the police uh, or the criminal justice system or the school to prison pipeline, all, all results and have all, you know, um, uh, culminated uh, from the same tactics that the government, you know, has set out to do that we're unaware of. And our generation, you know, young activists like myself, we're realizing that, hey, you know, if we want to work on these issues, if we want to advocate on these issues, this is a, a, a systemic scale. And there were leaders that have worked on this that we don't know about that actually were killed as a result, because if they were actually alive, they probably would have been successful. And they probably would have changed the course of history and they probably would have uh, abolished everything and, and created a whole new form of it. And so, you know, those are some of the byproducts that, that, that I believe are currently happening where people want to, you know, who are supporters of Black Lives Matter are recognizing that, yo, Imam Jamil was the founder of Black Lives Matter before you even knew it. And, and now, if should he be free, inshallah, you know, we're, we're going to unravel and understand how deep-rooted uh, the systems of government are set out for uh, against us and people who are actually recognizing what the greater vision of society is and how Imam Jamil viewed it from particularly an Islamic lens and, and, and knew and understood that we need an Islamic uh, governance or an Islamic uh, uh, principles implemented in our in our system so we can change all of society and change the culture of society and so people like like that um, are are now out of our out of are gone and and the byproduct is people like ourselves stepping in to fill those those giant footsteps yeah and and what was really important about what you just said was that it just seems like day by day more and more people are starting to realize that it's it's less on like um you know it's less on individuals and more about the system right, right. um i had a podcast uh, a few months ago with um Mahmoud Tal and uh we, we discussed you know how a lot of people get caught up in you know for example with George Floyd right about how you know there was you know a few cops that were in charge of that and you know they they made you know a mistake right or or like you know there's just there is evil right instead of realizing you know, that, you know, it is the police system that has these, uh, you know, these things ingrained in them and, and, you know, movements, like you said, like defund the police, um, they, they took a stronghold after, you know, repeatedly police shootings just become more and more prominent. So it, it seems like the, the greater effect of, you know, people like Imam Jamil, it, it's, it seems like he's, what's happening to him and what's happening to a lot of political prisoners, like you said, it seems like once they're trying to, you know, um, you know, take down the system or, or even trying to, to fix the system itself, it seems like the system is just putting a clamp on them and, and really just, you know, just shutting down all of their efforts. Um, so I want, I want to know uh, what, what, um, What's, what's your take on it, pretty much, right? It's like, mm. do, do you also see the same thing where more and more people are, you know, realizing this, that it's less on like, you know, just random racists and, and random people, um, you know, doing these terrible things um, and more like the system is actually corrupt? Um, the follow-up question, actually, that I just realized was uh, there seems to even be two camps in the activism space where one camp will say we have to, you know, fix the system, right? We have to, we have to use the system to, to, you know, take down these, you know, 
you know, bad legislation. Whereas another camp might say, no, we have to take down the system as a whole, start from a new, right? Um, so I just want like your opinion on that. I know these are like very, you know, huge questions and, and, you know, they can take a long time to answer, but just right. try your best in shuffle. No, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I kind of like it. <laughs> I think, uh, it's, it's both and it's both at the same time. Uh, okay. it, it's almost, um, it's almost like, uh, you know, from, from an Islamic lens, just, just an analogy, you know, if, uh, um, you, you shouldn't stop something good because of an, an evil thought, right? You shouldn't stop mm. something good because you're, you're, you know, you're doubting yourself. So if you, so for example, if you're praying Salah or you're praying Sunnah and you feel like, Oh, I'm bragging right now. Uh, let me just stop. So I, I'm actually more sincere. No, actually you're so the prophet encouraged you to keep praying so you can uh, to finish that Salah because that's actually, you know, the shaitan and the West one and the devil whispering into you saying, um, uh, to take you away from good. And so this, I'm going to use that analogy to answer your question because we ideally, yes, we have to change the system as, as a whole, because the seed to begin with was never uh, uh, fruitful. The seed to begin with was, was never pure. Um, and uh, at the same time, we, we, we can't, we can't say, oh, well, it's impossible, so I'm just going to give up. So you almost have to do both at the same same time. So, you know, people like myself and our generation, young activists, young community leaders, yes, we do have to get involved. We have to get involved. It's only, it's, it's, it's a step-by-step -step process. And, and, and it'll take um, people who are, uh, who can understand not only this uh, government from a, from a Democratic Republican perspective, but also understand Islam and its political governance and how uh, through history, through people, though it's so erased and not even mainstream that how, how we were actually leading empires and, and uh, multicultural uh, empires and, and, and countries and, and, and uh, governments that were actually beneficial societally uh, from a societal perspective and were quote unquote progressive in their times. And so we have to kind of go back to the sources, go back to our principles, go back to, you know, history and look, look at our, uh, you know, our, our, our Salaf, look at our, our leaders and those who led the way. And how can we take those same concepts, you know, have a modernized look on it and actually implement that today. And so, you know, it takes uh, us to get involved in whichever way we can, whether that's inside the government, whether that's outside the government. I think it's both, both are needed. You know, um, everyone has a conversation about, you know, oh, oh, what about our two Muslim Congress members? Are they even making a difference? And they're probably not, but on a, uh, on, on a mass scale, but they're changing the misconception of so many, you know, non-Muslims on a, on a, on a worldwide scale. And so, um, I think that, um, you know, you, you kind of have to play, uh, you kind of have to play the role where you're in this system and you do what you can uh, to make a change and you use the government apparatus that's given to you and you use everything around you to make change through, you know, XYZ policy or make change through you being Muslim or make change through whatever you, you know, uh, uh, can convey through media and, 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 and that end. But then at the same time, you can't, you can't stop learning about what's the greater goal what's the greater movement how can we unify our muslim ummah uh, on a on a global scale but more specifically in america and how can we inspire and rejuvenate and revive um uh you know what what the greater call for islam is to to have a uh, a land or a government or a uh have allah's authority on on a you know in in in, in society and and that's what what we should be working towards and it takes community unification and it takes um uh people to come together from all different backgrounds and it takes um you know leadership and structure uh and and, and sincerity to actually make to to revive and reform the system at large um so i mean there's 
there's obviously you know a, a lot that needs to be done right subhanallah um what's what's some things and maybe you can touch on you know a few action items that uh regular citizens like me and you know other people that maybe not be too politically active um and and may not be leaders like yourself and activists but what are some things that just you know, regular civilians can do and especially muslims what can we do to support the muslim activists that are leading the charge for us mm. uh, that's a good question i think um to begin with first and foremost uh read <laughs> like become aware i mean there's so much coming down your timeline so much coming you know news and media that uh i think sometimes our priorities are off when we're you know utilizing our free time uh at the bare minimum you know just have a general understanding of what's going on in society and what's going on on a larger scale locally uh on a statewide level on a federal level um you don't know know who your representatives are you know i'm gonna do the whole civic engagement tangent where you know know who your representatives are and and uh and, 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 and actually find ways where you're, you're not just um, voting for them and, and, and everything ends at, at, the, at the ballot box, but you're, you're advocating for them. I, I've worked in the state house I, uh, I, and I now work for a Congress member and I see the impact of, of just simple calls and simple emails uh, and, 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 and you know, advocating for certain issues. And, and Muslims, unfortunately, I don't, I don't believe have come to the point where we have uh, a good enough relationship to where we're reliable to elected officials today to advocate for the common good. You know, they when when a, when a crisis happens, when some when something occurs, they're calling on Catholic charities or they're calling on you know other nonprofit organizations. But where are we? We 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 need to get involved on all types of different fronts, and we need to model. Uh, uh, who we are on a on a community scale, and so. You know, you don't always have to be an activist. You don't always have to be the politician. But whoever you are in your field, um, having the basic knowledge of, you know, connecting your field and your background to the activists and to the the social civic social justice sphere, that will make a difference. When 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 we as a Muslim can, community can you know bridge you know the scholars and activists and the doctors and politicians. And you know we're you guys are funding us to run for office, and 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 uh, uh, the scholars are educating us on what we got to do to implement the dean in this country. Those are the types of things that on a Muslim community scale that I would give say say generally that we need to have the youth and, and the older generation, you know, finding those those bridges where we can come together and and recognize you know let's look at the let's look at the the blueprint let's let's come back to the map you know what is our end goal. What is our community's responsibility? We all bear, you know, the, the, but what does it actually mean? And what are we actually doing to follow in those footsteps and take care first and foremost for the don the downtrodden of society and, and the oppressed people in this nation until we model that and we are actually those torchbearers and we're actually taking care of the poor and the needy and the oppressed, then um, we won't have any. Uh, any source of of uh, of Islam on a, on a mass scale, and so the the advice I want to give to everyone is, you know, um, we have to kind of relearn our, our our principles and actually carry out our our social duties on a simple scale. So whether that's voting, whether that's going to you know social services, whether that's you know donating to a, a drive, whether it's getting involved in your MSA, whether that's you know um, uh, uh, you know studying law or um, uh, knowing who your elected officials are, inviting them to your events, um, you know, running for office yourself, uh, and, and then, you know, becoming an activist and advocating for issues and being that leader on the front lines that's, you know, representing, you know, what our, what our religion first and foremost teaches us about, you know, caring for, for others and, and making sure that we're, we are the, um, uh, uh, the, the, the torch, you know, we're, we're the caretakers of all of humanity. So, you know, those are the things that I think, you know, for everyone generally, you know, you don't have to be the activist, you don't have to be the politician, but do your, do your social 
aspect and do your social duty of Islam, and then we can all come a step further down the line. Yeah, inshallah, we can all act on that, and, and may Allah allow us to, you know, be not just you know Muslims that you know internally we're 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 at peace and internally we're you know trying to please Allah, but even on a societal level, let's all try to please Allah as much as we can. I mean, I mean um, so. Uh, I do kind of want to move a bit away from, you know, your, your politics and, uh, and your activism side. And I want to speak a bit more about, you know, what you started off speaking about, you know, your spoken words, your, your poetry. Um, and as a, as a poetry lover myself, I, I always want to ask people like, especially guys, like, I don't know if you know, bro, like, like the Muslim males in, in poetry is pretty slim to none. Yeah. Um, so I want, I want to ask you what exactly got you into it. And, um, and, and what fuels your, your love to, to write? Mm. Uh, well, I, I first started, <laughs> it's kind of a funny story. I first started uh, getting into poetry through writing raps first. So I used oh, to, nice, to, nice. to, to a lot of uh, uh, rap and hip hop uh, in my early high school days. And I remember, uh, I remember going to like the restroom in my high school and there would, there would be these people with this freestyling uh, in the restroom. And I, was, and, and I was a little shy back then. So I, I used to always like in my head, I'm like, oh man, like I wish I could like just say some bars and like, you know, uh, you know, uh, do a diss rap or something like that. So you guys had rap battles in your high school? In our, in our high school. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty crazy. So uh, there was this crazy story. I don't even want to say all the details. I ended up in... Um, uh, DMC detention uh, management class, I believe, in my high school. I was selling candy actually at my high school, and that's like a like a federal violation or something. I don't oh, know. Really scared me because you can't compete with like di- federal distribution of like free lunch and stuff. Gotcha, gotcha. So I ended up in DMC, and I wrote uh, I wrote a rap in DMC because I just had so much free time, and my rap was basically more or less about me being like quote unquote in prison in this class. In discipline, oh, discipline management class. That's what it's called. In discipline management class. And I compare that, you know, how I'm like, like, you know, like a prison in this class and, and whatnot. And uh, the next day when I go back to my classes, it was like, oh, like, Wasik, where were you and, and stuff? And I was like, oh, yeah, I was in DMC. And I was like, you're, you're Wasik? Because I was like, well, a chabacha, like an Urdu, like a good boy. Uh, and so then I, I was like, yeah, like, like you know, uh, they're like, why are you in DMC? So I, I shared that rap. And everyone started liking it. And I was like, oh, what? Like, I, I thought this was actually like trash. <laughs> I didn't like it that much. And so slowly after that, um, I just started to write more. And, and, and that rap evolved into poetry. And I would write from different perspectives. Uh, in, in early high school, I'd write about, you know, just how, how I would view the, you know, my, my lens of, of the world at the time and how people would kind of compare themselves and, and try to act cool and this and that. And um, I just wrote about, you know, several different topics, uh, and, and I, alhamdulillah, actually joined a, a poetry organization at my high school. I was the only one in the district, and I started to write weekly, and so every, every week, they would give us a different topic, and I would write to that topic, and whatever just kind of came out would, would, would come. Um, what fuels me to write um, it, it is a lot, really. Uh, it, it's, it's spirituality. I think a lot of my poetry comes from reflection, uh, where I'm able to kind of space out from, you know, the, the rituals of life and in the monotonousness of life where, you know, you're just kind of going through work or school and, and I kind of have to break free from that. And every day, you know, I'll try to reflect or make vicar or, you know, uh, tadabur, you know, in, in the Quran is, is mentioned where I can reflect on, on the creation of Allah, not only nature, but, you know, society and humanity and, you know, how we need to improve, uh, um, you know, mankind. And a lot of, you know, a lot of my poetry kind of stems from those reflections. And so, you know, topics from social justice to spirituality to, you know, uh, real men and emotional vulnerability um, and just storytelling in general, uh, and, and talking about just core issues or, or the Muslim, uh, the Muslim community in America and, and, and things of that sort. So, um, what fuels me to rise is just that, the kind of like that, 
that need and, and, and love for Allah and love for humanity as, as well and how I want to improve humanity and, and whatever I end up writing, you know, becomes a method to do that. And so me performing, you know, live or me performing, you know, is, is, is my way of Sadaqa Jari, is my way of spreading goodness in society and, and changing people's hearts, really changing people's hearts and getting them to, um, uh, you know, change their ways and implement, you know, whatever good that they find a benefit in um, from, the, from the poetry. That's amazing, man. Um, I want to ask you what exact, like who exactly were, were some of your influences um, just starting yeah. off? Because I know everyone has yeah. like a few different go-to poets that they, you know, try to <laughs> try to mimic a bit or, you know, just try to like right. copy the writing style and at least mm. in the beginning. Yeah, uh, in the beginning, I didn't really mimic any particular poets or their writing mm. style, but I used to watch a lot of YouTube videos and uh, I used to watch uh, Buna Muhammad a lot. Oh, Everyone knows OG, Buna, an OG. Of course. And, and, and Sheikh Omar, actually, Ashukri, and, and, and actually, course, uh, yeah. I got the opportunity to meet both of them and, and, and you know, develop a relationship with them now um, through poetry and through spoken word. Uh, so it was amazing. Like when I was 15, I always wanted to like aspire to, 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 you know, to, uh, be like them and, and, and write and, 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 you know, uh, you know, bring goodness through poetry and, 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 uh, now, you know, alhamdulillah, like I, I, I still, you know, seek their help and different projects or, or whatever the case is. That's, that's amazing. Um, do you have any like favorite poets right now or, or, you know, whether it be through writing or spoken word? Um, I don't really. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Yeah, gotcha. I, I actually, I don't have any particular ones. Uh, like, I enjoy poetry in, in different forms. Uh, mm. But I, I don't, uh, like, ironic enough, I don't actually, like, binge watch poetry as, like, a poet. Oh, okay, but, okay, okay, gotcha. So, I mean, I've I've gotten involved in, in also, I was on my, uh, my University of Houston's Poetry Slam team. Yeah, so I've, I've seen a couple of those. Yeah, uh, right, right about now uh, is is a um, uh, is an organization in Houston that has like a like one I think the second largest like poetry online platform in like in the world. And I saw I happened to meet and interact with a lot of non-Muslim poets as well. And my coach R.J. Wright uh, was one that I always admired his poetry and his style. Muhammad um, Yunus was our poetry Sam team captain. Uh, you know, people in my personal kind of space versus like online and out there. Uh, just because they've had a personal impact on me. And so if there was any, I, I would say them to uh, my poetry coach at the time. And then, and then Muhammad Yunus, who's a local poet, amazing poet here from Houston, Texas, um, that, uh, that personally touched me through their writing style, through, you know, how they can bring poetry to life, how they can, you know, uh, write just raw content and then edit that and know how to, you know, fine tune it and, and every aspect that you can imagine. Uh, that's amazing, right? Especially since your, your name, your main people that, you know, that, that have touched you personally, but may not have been known to the, the greater community. Right. Um, do, do you have the, um, sounds kind of weird to ask, but do you have like a, a process or like, is there like a, a step-by-step thing that you can pinpoint um, for like each poem that you write or, or what kind of stuff do you do to like, um, you know, get that kind of inspiration or, or is there anything at all really? Yeah. Yeah. That's actually a good question. Um, a lot of it just happens through like an emotional moment, like something happened that I had no control of. And I take that inspiration or I take that emotional energy and I channel it into my poetry. So there has been, uh, I remember a few of my poems early on, uh, happen through just conversations with people where I'm giving them deep advice and they're struggling with like real life issues. Like one person, this girl in my high school was struggling with suicide and depression. And I wrote a poem about her actually. And, and through different lenses, I would kind of narrate the story in, 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 in different shapes and forms. Um, other times it's been, um, you know, some, some emotional moment like at home. And then, you know, I'm, I'm writing something down or, um, 
you know, I, I hear like a lecture, you know, or I'm at like, you know, whatever it is, like a khutbah or something and something just hits me. I remember, yeah, there was one time I listened to a khutbah and I was driving, I was on a Greyhound bus actually to Austin for a poetry night and I wrote a poem about what I listened to in the khutbah and, and I performed that that night. So different, the social interactions and, and then just reflections on those is what kind of gives me the initial inspiration of the galvanization to begin to begin writing. That's that's really dope, bro. Mashallah. Um, I, I remember there was uh, one video that I watched from you. Um, I believe it was at Ikna, maybe, or where you performed a poem about masculinity and um, what that means to you and, and how um, masculinity is seen as one way. And, you know, it's it's meant to be, you know, a bit more deeper than that. Um, can I ask, like, what inspired that um, to, for you to write something um, you know, along the lines of that topic? Mm. Yeah, I actually forgot about that, that poem. Uh, I actually wrote that poem uh, the night that Kobe Bryant passed away. Oh, wow. And the reason why was because I'm not a basketball fan. Uh, yeah. I mean, I watch basketball here and there um, just through, you know, hanging out with, with, with the boys and stuff. But right, right, right. Um, my younger brother actually is a huge basketball fan. Mm. And when he passed away, uh, he was crying. He was crying alone in his bed. And I didn't realize that it would impact him this much. And, you know, initially, actually, my, my initial thoughts were I, I judged him. I'll be honest. I judged him in the beginning. And I was like, you know, this guy's crying like over a celebrity, like, come on, like, why are you, why are you doing that? And then, you know, when I came to approach him, then, you know, my heart kind of changed and I recognized like, no, like, why am I, why am I thinking that? Like, you know, he's a human being at the end of the day and he's someone that, you know, he's, he's grieving for. So I was telling my, my younger brother, like, uh, cause I've never actually seen him cry over someone's death. Like my grandma's passed away and my grandfather's passed away years ago, but I've never seen him at this scale. Uh, and so I, I was comforting him and I was telling him that, you know, it's okay to cry. Cause he almost felt a little shy. Like, Oh, my older brother's comforting me. I'm crying. Like I was telling him, like, it's okay. Like, don't worry, like, it's, it's okay to cry. And right after that, I just, I took that interaction with him. And, and then I recognized, like, man, like, there's, like, we need, like, us as men, we need to have that emotional intelligence or have that emotional awareness um, to be vulnerable and to uh, accept, you know, our feelings and to recognize that it is okay to cry and it is okay to have feelings and, and we need to have, you know, emotional intelligence and we need to recognize what a real man is. And, and that was, you know, the backstory to the real men poem. That's an incredible story, man, especially since you're, I feel like as the older brother, you're like, I'm, I'm the oldest as well. Um, and I have a younger brother and I don't know what it is, but it, it seems like, um, like yeah there is that judgmental side of you or or you know you know he, because he's the younger brother you know he, I, don't, I don't know but he's um he's a bit more emotional right and so there always <laughs> right. is that initial thing of like bro it's not it's not that big of a deal right, right but then right, you have exactly. to realize that you know he's he's uh internalizing it way different than you are right like right. kobe bryant like you said you know you're not a basketball fan or you know you are but not to the extent that he might be or mm -hmm. he, he might have you know taken lessons from him that you might not have mm -hmm. um and i remember when when kobe passed away a bunch of my friends like they they got super emotional mm -hmm. um they got really emotional and and it was it was kind of like um really interesting to see like how many dudes were actually touched by a celebrity right because you know celebrities pass away every single year but that i think that was the first time where i saw like a huge influx of men like actually being like emotionally impacted by a celebrity's death um right. and that just you know that just goes to show like how much kobe meant more than just you know basketball of course um yeah for sure and you know it's it's really cool that you're 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 touching on on stuff you know that might be a bit more taboo, but, you know, as the days go by, they're a bit more out in the open, you know, things like masculinity, um, you know, like, like you said, spirituality. And, and it's, it's really interesting that you actually use, uh, you said you used um, stuff from a khutbah for like a poetry contest, right? And I'm mm -hmm. guessing that poetry contest wasn't 
really an Islamic one at all. Um, so I'm pretty curious how you tied that into 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 a poetry contest into a poetry contest. You know that's you know that's not really Islamically driven. Right. And so it was actually at, at a masjid. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Yeah, gotcha. Was, never mind. Never at, mind. No, no, it's okay. It's, it was at Nuestas Mosque in Austin. Okay. Uh, so it's, it's the youth mosque there that's run by the students. Um, and it wasn't, it was an open mic. And so they invited me as a guest. Um, uh, but, but to, just to, to carry on, like, I, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I remember just the, the khatib was, he was talking about um, uh, kind of the states of the heart. And he was talking about how those who focus on the dunya, uh, Allah uh, kind of disarrays all their matters and affairs. But those who are actually, you know, striving and looking towards Allah, Allah orders all their affairs and makes them easy. And that that poem kind of, um, you know, uh, illuminated in me, like, you know, the different kind of states of the heart. And I ended up writing a, a poem about that. Cause it just touched me very deeply. And then I, I wrote it in a, in a poetic way and then, and, you know, recited it that night um, in, in that, in the Nuestas Mosque community. Yeah, subhanAllah. Are, are you like consistently writing um, like even now or, or yeah. like, have you, okay, gotcha. Um, no, I'm, I'm sorry. I was saying you guys with the question. <laughs> I'm not. I'm oh, not, okay, okay. Unfortunately, okay. I think uh, COVID and, 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 you know, I'm also recently married and, and just like a lot of different. Oh, nice. Changes, mashallah. Uh, Congrats. Thank you. Thank you. Jazakallah. Um, just a lot of things that, uh, and then just working, like, I think there's a lot of things that just kind of take away at yeah. your creativity, you know, and, and it's not that I have writer's block. It's just that the opportunities for me to get, get inspired or be engaged in a community setting, in a social setting, I don't have that as, as much. And if I do, I don't have the time to write because I'm stuck in this kind of like mechanical lifestyle. Uh, not in a bad way, but it's just the reality of things that, you know, when people get or, uh, older, they kind of, you know, lose their passions for certain activities or hobbies. Uh, not that I've lost it entirely. Uh, I'd say I've written a few poems here and there in the past year um real men was was one of them early last year and uh a, a few later on um now i'm writing love poems no i'm just kidding, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> i would have believed you it's no, pretty I, I natural am, i am maybe like a few <laughs> nice, but, sure. uh, haven't written anything um as of yet recently uh it's just been so many different things going on that 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 creative that introspective side of me it's there but i haven't let it out yet and i haven't had that outlet yet um as i used to and a lot of it actually you know is because i used to have time where um you know just time to myself time yeah. alone but that free time is, is just so valuable and becoming less and less as the days go by i completely get that and i've noticed that you know as as your day gets a bit more busy and you know it becomes a bit more habitual um right. you do kind of lose that like creative side of you right mm -hmm. um especially mm -hmm. since I don't know if it is, it's like this for most people or, or whatever, but I, I realize that I'm the most inspired like at nighttime, like at, mm, when it's too. one or 2 AM, but then if I work at eight, like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do that. Right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So Listen, I'm the same. I'm the exact yeah, yeah. same. I, I would write at night and I would write alone. And cause everything is just at peace. Everything is calming. Right. Like, I don't have any distractions, any worries. Like I have to spend literally two, three, four hours, like on one poem. And I would yeah. write it. I don't, I don't write it in parts. I write it A to Z because I need to utilize that kind of emotional um, uh, feeling or inspiration that I have to continue that poem and finish it. So I have to, I have to do it on one sitting. And if I don't right. have that opportunity, then, Oh, the poem has gone. It's not written. <laughs> right. Subhanallah. Yeah. You need those like blocks of just like a good four or five hours to just like bang out one poem. Right. Um, and yeah, so what I realized was that, like, you know, when when the life does get pretty busy, um, you do kind of lose that creative side. And, and sometimes you do miss it, right? Like, there are, there are days when you're just like, damn, like, although I had, like, like, more time and, you know, maybe I'm a bit more fulfilled right now, I do miss that creative side of me that, you know, was just so inspired and just wanted to write. Um, and I think sometimes Allah will put you in a, in a situation to, to kind of 
regain that side of you because you know at the end of the day that is like a part of you right that that creative side um so for me personally i um for like over the summer i had a i had a job as a nurse extern at um at a behavioral health center at a, at a psych ward so this place was about like a 45 minute to an hour drive um and so i would drive to work every day until right. i got into a car accident and so because of that, I had to start taking the train, which oh, is about yeah. two hours. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow. So on those train rides, I was like, what am I going to do for two hours? Right. Like I can't like, this is just going to be boring if I'm just like, like taking a nap or I'm just sitting there. Right. So I would just pull out a notepad. I would just start journaling, like whatever my thoughts were that day. I got into a habit of journaling as well through that. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was amazing. I was used to journal before, but never like every single day and then that sparked right. me to like do it every day and now I've, I've still i still have that habit alhamdulillah it's amazing and then i would and then after that i'd still have like a good like 30 minutes to like an hour left and so i would just like you know just write whatever creative stuff was in my head like i would i would like literally just like just write um random imagery that i would see and then i would kind of like see what pops up from there and the thing is, like, none of it was good, right? All of it, no, is, sure it, all of it, all of it is terrible, right? <laughs> but what what helps is that when you're, when you do get hit with that inspiration, that creative side, then like I'm like reading back and I'm like, oh, that's actually a good line, or like that's a good metaphor, and like that's a good Im- like a piece of imagery, and then you kind of just tie back into into the poem that you actually do want to write. So I realize right. that it does really help you, um, for like when you actually do want to write and you do get hit with that inspiration. Definitely. No, definitely. I agree. Um, I used to have a journaling habit as well. Uh, and I used to, it was, it's, it's, it's tied to the same thing, like the inspiration. And then, um, now like with less time, like I don't even journal anymore. Right. Uh, so it's, it's a struggle. I think, uh, and then I think a lot of other creative people go through the same, go through the same thing. And, and I, I and a lot of it also for me, I think when, when COVID hit, uh, was, a lot of my energy and a lot of my, um, uh, you know, motivation and inspiration comes from just social community and bonding mm. and not having that, you know, killed, <laughs> like, like I, I wasn't able to, you know, just, um, realize how passionate I am about, you know, the community, how passionate I am about social justice, how passionate I am about, you know, inspiring others. And so, um, like definitely like i think when i used to journal i you know it kind of unpacks you know uh and unravels you know so many things that are on your mind you kind of understand or more analytical about the world yourself you know are introspective and and are able to to write and reflect and so yeah that definitely helps you know and in understanding yourself and you know being able to write you know good poetry yeah, definitely, Subhanallah. Um, I want to ask: Do you have plans of pursuing uh, poetry, maybe a bit more on a, on a larger scale, such as you know, do you want to write a book, or do you, or do you plan on, um, you know, publicizing your poetry a bit more, you know, outside of communities, outside of contests, uh, maybe starting your own thing? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I've thought about it recently um about you know publishing i've always wanted to publish since i was younger i just never had the uh the, the opportunity to uh to compile some poems together or, or, or write a book um i i am thinking about you know potentially in the near f- future to um uh to have you know a poetry book uh of the sword and and maybe maybe even more than poetry but just also uh, kind of reflections like in between like my own written content uh, from a narrative, you know, a view. Um, and I don't know about creating anything else in, in the meantime, I think a lot of what's taken on, uh, my path now is, is more of my, my early career in terms of how, how can I combine community and social activism and, and Islamic organizations into this work. And so, um, unfortunately, or, or whether, uh, you know, I, poetry's came to the bottom of that barrel because there's just so many things I want to do. So I kind of have to have like a focus or a narrow vision. And so I kind of, you know, we'll, we'll do poetry like on, as a, as a hobby still. And, and, you know, things that I can do on the side where, you know, opportunity arises and I'm able to perform or I'm able to do a fundraiser or, you know, just do a, do a poetry stamp or whatever the case is. So um, I do still want to find ways to, to take it to another level but I, I want to take my community activism 
and that part to another level even more. For sure, bro. Um, and may Allah make you successful in all of your endeavors and may Allah allow you to, to reach, you know, the highest of levels for, for each of your goals, you know, whether it be, you know, activism, whether it be politics, whether it be, you know, leadership and, and even poetry, you know, may Allah allow us to be successful in, in everything that we want to achieve. I mean, if it's good for us, of course. I mean, of course, I mean. Um, and with that, bro, I, I I do want to end it off. I know we've been going for a while. No, no um, worries. I know you have a family now, so uh, you can, you can <laughs> go okay. back to it, write your love forms, mashallah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Jazakallah Khair for, for joining. Um, it's, it's It took us a while to, to really get to this episode, but, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope you did as well. I hope the audience does, inshallah. And, you know, if, allow it maybe inshallah we can have you back for another episode no definitely definitely no thank you for everything for hosting me on the on the shaded youth uh it's an honor and and jazakallah for for uh for the conversation i definitely enjoyed it of course man jazakallah for everything and um yeah um i just want to end off with a quick dua that one of my guests made me promise to do at the end of every single episode that's good i love it yes subhanakallah and with that dua, um, inshallah, everything that we said is full of barakah, is pleasing to Allah, and whatever wrong we said is forgiven. Um, and whatever we have in store is for the sake of Allah always. I mean, um, Imam Hassan, made you say that, huh? No, 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 it wasn't Imam Hassan. <laughs> it was uh, actually, it was it was another Imam Hassan, funny enough. Oh, really? Another was, Imam Hassan? Name, yeah, his name is Hassan Akbar. He's a local in New York. Oh, okay, that's, okay. That's, that's pretty nice. funny. That, that's pretty funny, actually. It was, it was another Imam Hassan. <laughs> That's but nice. yeah, man, um, I hope you have an amazing, you know, amazing week. And um, inshallah, our, our paths cross once again. I mean, I mean, exactly. All right, bro. All right. Take care. Take care. Take care.